You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. The mission survival is unless they're sent. And we're going to give you some more background behind this, but let's all read this together. Romans chapter 10, we're going to read verses 9 through 15. And the Apostle Paul wrote, If, it, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How many of you have done that? Would you raise your hand? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's keep reading. For with the heart, one believes and is justified to be declared right with God. And with the mouth, one confesses, one admits, and then is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. What in the world is that talking about? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. That is what we're going to talk about this morning. Excuse me. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on who? All who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And now Paul is going to give us some rhetorical questions. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? Well, if they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, certainly they're not going to cry out to him. Thank you, ushers. You guys are the best ever. How many of you did not get a handout? Would you raise your hand? Guys, this is when when you don't preach every week, you forget to do all this important stuff. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate that. If you did not get a handout, just slip your hand up. Thank you so much. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? So if someone has not heard the name of Jesus, can they believe in Jesus? No, of course not. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? If there's not a preacher to preach the good news about Jesus, are they going to hear it? No. And how are they to preach, say it with me, the next four words, unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This morning, I want to give us a backdrop to this letter from Paul. And you all know that Paul used to be who? Saul. He used to be Saul. He was a Jewish rabbi, part of the group known as the Pharisees. And Paul, formerly Saul, had a passion for the Torah. Oh, he was a Torah believer and follower. And he believed that all of these different Jewish uh, Jesus communities, these Jesus followers, they were the enemy. These people were rebel rousers. These people, just as in the Old Testament, these people were against the one true God. But then Paul had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus Christ himself on the road to Damascus. And all of a sudden, these light bulbs start going off in Paul's head. These dots are connecting. The long-awaited Messiah is Jesus Christ. So now Paul takes this passion that he had for the Torah and he starts going around the world and sharing the good news of Jesus. 
We know that Paul wrote letters to all of these different Jesus communities to help strengthen them and build them up and and help them to grow in the Lord. And I want to just take a segment this morning because I know that we have some new believers in here. And I want to just remind us of a few things before we continue. Number one, these letters from Paul were intended to be read all the way through just like you would read a letter all the way through. You wouldn't open the letter and pick a few things out of it and not read the rest of it. So these letters are intended to be read all the way through. And remember, when Paul wrote this, Paul didn't start off by writing chapter 1, da-da-da-da-da, chapter 2. No, chapters and verses, they didn't come along until the 1500s. No, Paul would have written this letter from start to finish. So letters must be understood in their proper context. And any portion of the letter must be understood in the context of the whole letter. And not only that, but each individual letter that Paul wrote to the churches and to these people must be understood in the context of all of Scripture. In Rome, we learned from the book of Acts that the church there was made up of Jews and non-Jews. Paul calls these people Gentiles. And the Roman emperor Claudius had kicked out these Jews for five years. For five years they were kicked out and then they were able to come back. But when they came back, there was problems. These Gentiles who said they believed God, they weren't keeping the Sabbath and they weren't circumcised. And they were eating food offered to idols and all of a sudden we've got tension in the church. We've got fighting, we've got comparing, we've got boasting. Oh, so Paul writes this letter. But before we jump into this letter, I want us to back up and just all remember this letter in the context of all of Scripture. You see, we have the Old Testament. Well, what is the Old Testament all about? Well, a testament is a covenant. And if you were at the marriage retreat yesterday, you heard Jeremy teach us about the Old Covenant. And you see, what they would do in the old days with the covenant is two people would take animals and they would cut these animals in half. And they would line up the animals this side, this side. And then the two people would walk next to each other and they would walk through the animals and they would say, if I break my word... This is, what we'll, this is what you can do to me. You can cut me in half. We don't really do that today anymore, do we? No. But the beauty of the covenant that we find in Genesis between God and Abraham is that the two of them did not walk through the, the animals. God ordered Abraham to split these animals in half and God by himself alone came through the animals saying to Abraham, this covenant's on me. This covenant's not on you. Nope, you're going to break this covenant. You and your descendants are going to break this covenant. In fact, you are going to kill the very prophets that I'm going to send to call you back to me. And eventually you're going to kill the prophet. You're going to kill the Messiah. This covenant was not based on Abraham's righteousness. It was based on his faith. We're going to see that here in a moment. 
But God was the one that was faithful in this covenant. God was the one that kept this covenant. And God even uses the hard hearts of his people to bring about the death of the Messiah. Talking about the rulers of this world and the mystery of God, this is what Paul says. For thousands of years, the Messiah coming to earth is a mystery. How is God going to do it? And Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, the rulers of this world have not understood this mystery. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. You see, Jesus, God, hardened the already hard hearts of the Jews so that they would kill Jesus. But God's God's intention was not that their hearts would remain hard. No, no, no. God's intention was that the gospel would be brought to mankind, the good news of Jesus, and that the Gentiles would be saved too because God loves the Gentiles too. He loves all. And God's hope and plan was that the Gentiles coming to faith would spur a jealousy from the Jews and that they would too come to Christ. And this is the context of this Old covenant, this covenant that God made with Abraham and the Old Testament, the Old Covenant is all about Abraham and his descendants. That's the whole thing. It's showing us that they failed over and over and over. And even through their failing, God brought to us redemption. Now God is ready to extend his kingdom to the Gentiles as well. People from every race, every nation, every tongue. So God calls those who are in his son, those who have believed upon Jesus, to the same task that he called Abraham. Well, what did he call Abraham to? God selected Abraham to be a light to the nations. God selected Abraham that through his descendants, God would bless all the nations on the earth. And guess what? That's what the Great Commission is. Jesus Christ commissions you and me. He calls you and me to be a light to the nations, just like Abraham was. The call to the church to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to baptize them, to make disciples was the Great Commission. That is why 2,000 years later, we are still going, we are still laying down our lives for the sake of this gospel, this good news. And we will continue to do so until Jesus Christ returns. In summary, God's plan from the beginning was for his chosen people to be a light to the nations, to be his ambassadors to the whole world. This is exactly what God envisioned, and this is what Paul preached to the church In Rome, God was calling this new family, the family of Jesus, to be his light to the world. But we have a problem. You see, God's calling his people to be a light to the nations. But rather than being a light to the nations, God's people are fighting with each other. Here in this church in Rome, we've got so much bickering and fighting that no one is focused on the main thing at hand. So Paul writes this letter. Paul's mission was to get the gospel to those places where it was not. But instead, 
those people whom Paul had already preached the gospel to were distorting the message and giving significance to those things which paled in comparison to the good news. So the purpose of Paul's letter to the church was to unify it. If they would come together, they could be a staging ground to send out missionaries to places in the known world where their gospel was not reached. I want to read two verses for you at the end of his letter. This is what Paul says. My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard. That's it. Paul's ambition was to preach the gospel where the name of Christ had never been heard. But instead, the church is bickering and fighting. I want to bring to us this morning three concerns that the Apostle Paul had. Obviously, if we had 50 hours, we could not cover the whole book of Romans. But this morning, shortly, I want to highlight three of Paul's concerns to the church in Rome. Number one, the church was not unified in the gospel. The church was not unified in the gospel. Now, we know that Paul wrote this letter from Corinth. And Paul did not deliver this message himself. Paul had someone else deliver this message. Now, if you were in the first service, please don't cheat. But I'm going to give a 100% straight-A grade to anyone who knows the answer to this question. Brady, if you get this right, you get 100 on your test Friday. Who delivered the letter of Romans to the church in Rome from Corinth from Paul? Anybody know? Anybody know? Up in the top. All right. I didn't know either, by the way, before I studied, so I'm not trying to show off. A lady named Phoebe. Oh, that's kind of a cool name, isn't it? Phoebe. All right, here's what I want our church to do this morning. I want every single one of you to to decide right now, are you a Jew or a Gentile? Okay, good. We're set. Now, I want us to go back 2,000 years in time, and I want us all, by the way, I'm not Phoebe, but I I want us all to imagine that Phoebe is reading this letter to us. By the way, she would have been probably the one to read this letter. To the church in Rome, delivered from Corinth, from Paul. And here's what Phoebe said. And I just want you to give me the liberty this morning to read and you listen. I'm going to skip a lot of stuff and I'm going, I'm not going to add anything, but I'm going to skip over some, some stuff. I just want you to listen to what Phoebe would have read to the church. Phoebe said, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent to preach his good news. By the way, this good news is about his son, Jesus Christ. Though Christ, through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell the Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. Now, I am writing this to all of you here in Rome. And Boy, you are so loved by God. And you're called to be his holy people. I want to encourage you and I want to thank you because your faith is being made known around the world. It's just incredible the faith that is in this room. And I serve our 
Lord and Savior by telling everyone about this good news. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh no, it's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. And it is through faith that a righteous man has life. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth of God by their wickedness. They knew God, these people, they knew God, but they would not worship him as God or even give him thanks. All claiming to be wise, they're fools. Instead of worshiping the ever-living God, they worship idols uh, made to look like people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to their minds, to themselves, to their hearts, to do whatever their shameful thoughts desired. These reprobates, these people who are enemies of God, God gave them over to themselves. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped the creation rather than the creator. Now, church, you might think that you're better than they are. But you're not. You're doing the same things they're doing. You who judge other people, why don't you judge yourselves? Don't you see that God is being generous to you because he wants you to turn and repent? God is going to judge every single one of you based on your actions. When the Gentile sins, those of you in here who are Gentiles, when you sin, you will be destroyed even though you never had the law of God written. And you Jews who do have God's law, you will be judged by the law when you fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. And then Phoebe would have said this. Are you ready? Here's what Phoebe said. Straight from Paul's writing. It is obeying the law that makes us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Now, hold up. I'm going to step down here. Now I'm Scott. I'm not Phoebe anymore. And some of you are scratching your heads right now. Is he reading the Bible right now? Right here. It is obeying the law that makes us right in God's sight. Hold up now. I'm not finished reading. You who call yourselves Jews, you in here who are Jews, you're relying on God's law. You boast about your special relationship with God. But you are not a true Jew just because you were born to Jewish parents. No. The true Jew is one whose heart is right with God and true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit of God. So, is there an advantage to being a Jew? Well, yeah. I mean, those of you who are Jews, you have the written word of God. You have the revelation from God. But should we conclude that you Jews are better than you Gentiles? No! Not at all for... We have already shown that all people, whether Jews and Gentiles, are under the power of sin. No one is righteous, not even one. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not even a single one. Now, obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. 
For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Huh? Let me read that again. Maybe Paul didn't mean to write this. I'm sorry, guys. Let me read this again. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Hold up. What did this say back here? It is obeying the law that makes us right with God. No one can ever be made right with God by doing the law. Okay, well, let's keep reading. I'm confused too. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now. Oh, but now. God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace, through Christ Jesus, when he when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he was doing in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. He makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then? Can we boast that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No way. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? course he is. There is only one God. Here we go again. He makes people right with himself only by faith, whether you are a Jew in here or you're a Gentile. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. Only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Now, I want to thank Phoebe for reading that to us. I tell you, if you're like me, here's what I noticed when Phoebe was reading that. One, two, three, four, five, six. And that's just in that chapter. There's a lot more later. We are made right in God's sight by faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ alone. Paul said we are made right with God by keeping the law. And then he says we are made right with God by believing that Jesus sacrificed his life for us. Which is it? 
Well, let's look at the screen. If I could keep the law, it would make me right with God, but I can't, so it won't. If I could keep the law, it would make me right with God, but I can't, so it won't. You might be in the room this morning and you say, Scott, believe it or not, I am different from every other human being ever to live. I have perfectly kept the law. Well, I want to commend you and I want to, I want to encourage and congratulate you that you are right with God. You are as right with God as any person who's ever lived who's never sinned. But we can't, so it won't. We needed a Savior. I can never get right with God. I must be made right with God. I can never get right with God. I must be made right with God. I want to give you kind of a silly illustration here. I know probably in this room we don't have any wealthy people. Could we probably agree on that except for Christy and I? Uh, no, probably probably no extremely wealthy people. Maybe there is. I don't know. Have you ever known a really wealthy person? I have known a few in my lifetime. And there's something in common with all of them. And I want to tell you about a lady. By the way, please don't contact this lady and tell, you, tell her about this sermon. I'm just joking. Uh, no, there was this lady in Indiana, and she owned the largest strawberry farm in Indiana. Her dad gave me tennis lessons when I was a little boy, and she allowed me to work at the strawberry farm one summer. This lady worked harder than any human being I've ever known by far. She managed the strawberry farm on the south part of our county, and her husband managed the strawberry farm on the north part of our county. She came to work, I asked her, at 5.30 every morning. She left at 8 o'clock every evening. She worked six days a week, but on her seventh day, she came into work too. They hired a nanny to wake their kids up, pack their kids' lunch, take their kids to school, pick their kids up, Take them home, tuck them in bed. She drove the latest model BMW X7 as soon as it came out. She went and got it. Our homes would probably make her home look like some kind of shed or garage. How many of you understand that this lady earned every penny that she made? Every penny. She was what you and I might call a workaholic. And she got rich. Say it with me. She got rich. I want to show you a picture on the screen. These guys are Salt and Giza Pilates. Anybody in here like to do Pilates? Okay, let's keep going. This is Salt and Giza Pilates. And these two guys, real sharp looking guys, right? These two guys lived in Budapest. They still live in Budapest. And they lived in a cave. They were penniless. 
They had no relationship with their mom or dad or siblings or grandparents, nothing. Just the two of them. And their job was scrap finders. They would find metal and they would gather it together and they would bring it and they would turn this metal in for a small amount of money and they would take that and they would buy food and they were destitute and poor. One day in 2009, a charity worker came and looked through these caves and by word of mouth finally came and found these brothers. She sat down with them and she said, are you the Pilates? And they said, yes, ma'am, we are. And they said, are you related to such and such Pilates? And they said, I, yes, that's our grandmother, but we have not seen her in a long time. We have no relationship with her and we have no relationship with our mother. So the charity worker said, well, your mother has passed away and your grandmother has now passed away. And they said, okay. The charity worker said, and oh, uh, the grandmother left you $6 billion. It's the largest inheritance known to mankind in the history of the world. Now, believe me, I would take $6 million. I would take $600,000. I would take $6,000. billion. How many of you understand they did not get rich? They were made rich. How much work did they do to earn that $6 billion? None. In fact, we could almost say they did the opposite. I mean, these scoundrels did nothing to deserve this money, and now they're billionaires. You and I cannot get right with God. We can only be made right with God. I can never get right with God. I must be made right with God. Getting right with God requires that I do the work. Being made right with God means that someone, capital S, someone else did the work for me. And you and I know that that someone is Jesus Christ. You see, it is the work that he did because he came from heaven to earth. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life, perfectly fulfilling the law of Moses. He died on a Roman cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. After three days and three nights, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And it was the work that he did that inherits me eternal life. And I'm right with God because of Jesus' work. That's the gospel. Nothing is more important in our church than that we get the gospel right. Nothing's more important. You and I contribute nothing to our salvation. Even the faith with which we have to call upon Jesus is from God. You, you cannot even boast about your faith. 
that was from God too. This church in Rome was divided in the gospel. Number two, the church was not living out the gospel in the power of the Spirit. Would you guys mind listening to Phoebe again? Phoebe says this. Paul said, I I have discovered a principle in life that when I want to do right, I inevitably do what is wrong. How many of you could testify with Paul? Good call, Phoebe. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin. Oh, what a, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin and death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of our weakness, the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. By giving his son a sacrifice for our sins. For our sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. Those who are still under the control of their sinful nature cannot please God ever. But you in our church here this morning. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by. By the Spirit, if you had the Spirit of God living inside of you. And Christ lives within you too. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life. Because you have been made right with God. You have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead... He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. But if through the power of the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received... A spirit, you have not received a spirit, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. No, 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 no. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him.
That's what the Spirit does. Boy, the Spirit doesn't enslave you. He gives you life. Because we are in Christ, we receive no judgment. Because we are in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. Because we are in Christ, we are in a right relationship with our Abba Father. We have God's Spirit like the wind behind a sail to help us in our weakness. When we are weak, then are we strong because God's Spirit is able to work through us. I've got a couple of pictures that I'd like to show you on the screen. This is Sam Roy Yat. Can you all say Sam Roy Yat? You said it wrong. You have to roll your R. Okay, one more time. Sam Roy Yat. That was still terrible. Okay. All right, so this is Sam Roy Yat, and this is about 45 minutes from our home in Hua Hin, Thailand. And Christy and I used to come here with our family. And let's see another picture if we could. And one more. And so, really beautiful place. Uh, You all thought that I was suffering on the mission field. (laughs) Oh, man. But if you come to Thailand, I will take you to Samroyat. Okay, so we're in Samroyat and... Christy and I rented a kayak for a dollar, and we decided to go to the island. So my parents were with us, and we had two kids at the time, so we're doing one kid in their kayak, one kid in our kayak. And I'm telling you what, the water was like Revelation 15 Sea of Glass. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was, it was like a mirror we're rowing, and I thought it was going to take us like a day to get there. It took us, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes. Boom, we were there. And this part here is kind of not part of the story that I'm telling, but I'll still tell it. So we get there. There's monkeys all over the island. There's no electricity, no humans living there. Monkey hops on the kayak, grabs Chloe's potato chips out of her hand. She's screaming. Christy's screaming. No, she wasn't really screaming. Uh, so my dad and me grab each kayak and we're like running out of into the water and we went back. (laughs) True story. So I don't know. Was it like a year later? Christy's like, Hey, let's, let's go back and we won't mess with the monkeys this time, but let's, you know, let's go out there. And it's just the two of us. So we thought it would be a romantic kind of like getaway. And boy, did we need your marriage seminar after this one, Jeremy. But anyway, we start that we, we drove there and we get there. And as soon as we got there, Christy says to me, when we turned and we saw the water, she said, oh, there's waves. And I was like, well, we're, I mean, we're pretty strong. And so <laughs> and we go out to the island, no phone. No one knows we're there. I mean, maybe they did. We're going out there, and it was much easier than I thought. I mean, it was a, just a piece of cake to get out there. In fact, I remember thinking, this is easier when, than when the water was flat. I mean, we are just cruising here. And then we got to the island, and we had to turn around and come back. 
and we got a divorce, and it just, it was terrible, but <laughs> we're back together now, so I want you to thank, praise the Lord for that. We're going back. I'm screaming at her, get your row. On the other side, what are you doing? I, I, just be quiet and let me row, and we are making no progress. I mean, we're like 45 minutes, and you can barely see land. I'm exaggerating, but it was, it was nuts. And then the wind is blowing us, not just away from the shore, but it's blowing us east. So we're like getting way away. So we're trying to row that way and back this way. And then finally, Christy's like, okay, let's just go to the shore and we can walk back. That's a good idea. So then we started going that way and this way, and now we're making progress. (sighs) We made it back to the shore. We're, I don't know, a mile from where we were. Christy had to carry the kayak all the way back. It was, it was terrible. I was giving my testimony in my small group last week. And I was sharing with our small group how me personally, I grew up under the spirit the, the spirit that makes you a fearful slave, the spirit of legalism. The spirit where you are performing to please God. And Barbara Nelms, she raised her hand. Barbara, are you in here? Uh, there she is back there. Barbara raised her hand, and boy, did she say something that was beautiful. Her experience, like mine, was under a spirit of legalism. And she said, Scott, it is exhausting. It's exhausting. Attempting to sanctify myself is exhausting. Not only is it exhausting, but trying to sanctify myself leads to, leads to comparing myself to other people. Sanctifying myself leads to feeling inadequate. Sanctifying myself leads to boasting. Sanctifying myself leads to jealousy. Do you see where I'm going here? So first of all, I'm trying to get right with God on my own. And because of that, I'm constantly comparing myself to you. And sometimes I'm doing pretty good, so I've got this superiority complex. Like, I'm doing real good with this Christian thing. But then other times I'm not doing as good, and now I've got the inferiority complex. But I'm always comparing, comparing, comparing. And this leads to boasting because I feel inadequate about myself. So now I have to recommend myself to you. My job become, my, my life becomes a job application where I'm constantly coming to you and I'm referring myself. I'm telling you about all of the things that I've done in my life so that you'll be pleased with me. And I want you to commend me. I want you to validate me. I want you to say, wow, you're good. You're special. You're important. You're awesome. I want to find worth in you. So I'm comparing myself with you. I'm boasting about myself because I'm trying to refer myself to you. Oh, and I'm feeling inadequate the whole time and it's a constant battle. Oh, and then I'm jealous of you because you've become the person that I want to be. I'm not happy for you. Not only am I not happy for you, I don't want you to have that. So now 
that jealousy leads for me to plan for a way subconsciously for you not to have that. Now I begin tearing you down and attacking you and telling other people things that you've done. Brothers and sisters, I am telling you right now, when you are living in that spirit, Mrs. Posey, it is exhausting. You've got to wake up every morning and figure out what everyone else thinks about you. And when you hear criticism about you from another person, it cripples you. But that's not the spirit that we get from God. Our Abba Father has given us a spirit that produces love and joy and peace and patience and meekness and temperance. This spirit from God is like a wind behind you. And it's so easy. Oh, you're still rowing. You're still doing. You're still living. It's not like you sit on your couch and just don't do anything. You're still living your life. But it's easy. And it's freeing. And now, now you, you, don't, you don't care about what other people think of you. It's not because you don't care about their opinion, but you only care about God's opinion. So you're not comparing yourself to other people. And you're not boasting about yourself. And you're not jealous. And you're not introverted. You're not extroverted. You're not overcompensating. You don't need, your self-esteem is not in the picture. You're free in Christ because of what he's done for you. And now you just want to give your life for him. You want to give your life to share the gospel around the world. But this church in Rome was not doing it because they were living in the flesh. Paul's first concern was that this church was not unified in the gospel. And secondly, they were not living in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Would you look with me at the screen? By the way, forgive me, there's a spelling error on your handout. That's my fault. But it's correct on the screen. Let's read this. This is a quote. When a man is driven to acts of obedience by the dread of God's wrath. This is, this is that spirit of fearful slave. Rather than, uh, excuse me, of God's wrath revealed in the law. And not drawn to these acts of obedience by the belief of his love revealed in the gospel. When he fears God because of his power and justice and not because of his goodness, when he regards God more as an avenging judge than as a compassionate friend and father, and when he contemplates God rather as terrible in majesty than as infinite in grace and mercy, he shows that he is under the dominion or at least under the prevalence of a legal spirit. Here's the good news. The Holy Spirit lives inside of every one of you who believe. Every one of you. We may live with His Spirit in our sails, leading us, guiding us, correcting us, encouraging us, teaching us, shaping us to be ready to be presented to our Lord and Savior. And the third concern that Paul has, the church elevated minor issues next to the gospel. Could we listen to Phoebe again this morning? 
Phoebe says, from the hand of Paul, accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God. And others will approve of you too. So then, here it is, church. You ready? Here it is. Let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. It is important that we not elevate traditions and preferences to an equal place with the gospel. It is also important that we are sensitive with other believers and their preferences. We must aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Now, church, let's let's, as a church attend marriage seminar together. And let's be honest with our marriage counselor who's sitting in front of us. You ready? We disagree with each other on things. There it is. I said it. Yep. In fact, you guys might not know this. Did you know that Pastor Nathan and Pastor Jeremy don't agree with everything on theology? Did you know that Jordan, Pastor Jordan and myself, we don't agree on everything with theology? Did you all know that? (gasps) Yeah, some of you, you like worship. Some of you like hymns. Some of you like expository, some topical, some dress clothes, some casual, some pews, some padded chairs, some carpet, some concrete, some stained glass, some blacked out. Should I keep going? Some of you denominational, some nom-denom, some pedo, some credo, some KJV, ESV, NLT, Calvin versus Flowers, Piper versus Furtick, Trump lovers versus he's not my president, Republican versus Democrat, nationalism versus globalism, cessationism versus continuationism, egalitarianism versus complementarianism, old earth versus new earth, libertarian free will versus determinism, regeneration preceding faith versus faith preceding regeneration, premillennialism, 
Postmillennialism, amillennialism, closed communion versus open, penal substitutionary atonement versus Christus Victor, covenant theology versus dispensationalism, systematic theology versus biblical theology. Those of you who know me well, you know that I have some opinions. Sometimes my opinions are too strong. (laughs) Fortunately, I have a wife who tones me down. I have an opinion on every single thing that I just said. I can can tell you 100% sure the truth is that I'm not right on all of them. The odds are stacked against me that I'm right on all of them. But we must aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Church, we got to get the gospel right. We can't waver on the gospel. I love a Jehovah's Witness just like I love a Buddhist, just like I love a Muslim. But we're not all right. If they're my neighbor, Christy's going to bake them some baked goods. But they're not right on the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ alone saves. And we cannot be all right. You know, there's a popular belief in Thailand that what's right for me is right for me and what's right for you is right for you. I have people tell me that all the time in Thailand. Why are you here as a missionary? We believe in Buddha. You believe in Jesus. Go back to America. I'll keep believing in Buddha. You believe in Jesus. I taught my ninth and 10th grade Bible class at the high school. Uh, how many of you understand monotheist and polytheist can't both be right? There's not one God and also many gods. Yeah, monotheists and polytheists and atheists and agnostics, they can't all be right. This cute little thing in our culture today that says, well, you know, they have their own thing, I have my own thing. Yeah, your thing's wrong if it's not Jesus Christ is the only way. And I love you so much to tell you that because that's the only thing that can save you. Good grief, church. If there's many gospels and they're all right, what are we doing? Christy, good grief. Let's go get a real job where I'm making more money and let's actually buy a house. (laughs) I'm 33 years old and I've never owned a house. Guys, guys, listen, listen. It's all about the gospel. Unity on that essential thing. Non-essentials. Let's have a, let's have a little liberty. Pastor Scott, uh, I just want you to know that so-and-so in our church, they are speaking in tongues. Let's have a little liberty. Now, by the, by the way, 
liberty doesn't mean that people who disagree with Pastor Capace are going to be preaching on the platform and preaching on things he disagrees with. I mean, I think we could all, yeah, okay, sure. But liberty, liberty that I could be wrong and you could be right, maybe. But do we agree on the gospel? And in all things, love and charity. Church, in application, in summary, we must unite in the gospel. Everything else is minor compared to the gospel. The gospel, the good news about Jesus is major. We must live out the gospel in the power of the Spirit Daily reliving the good news about Jesus, resting in the finished work of Christ, leaning on the spirit in our weakness, holding our brothers and sisters accountable, studying the word of God together, encouraging each other, praying for each other, bearing each other's burdens. And then church, don't be easily offended and be careful not to offend, especially our new believers. You've been going to this church a long time. Be ever so careful to not offend a new believer. Well, they're wrong. They, they believe this. I got I to gotta, I gotta correct them. Be careful not to offend. The more we find our identity in Christ and find our validation from God and what he thinks of us, the less we will be offended by a brother or sister in Christ. I think, church, if we follow Paul's instructions in this letter, we will begin to spread the gospel around the street. We're going to spread it around the state of Arkansas, around our country. We're going to start sending. We're going to continue to send our graduates across the globe. I want to beg each and every one of you to come to our missions revival. I don't say that as the missions pastor. I just say that because you got to be there. It's going to be incredible what God does in our church next week. Please, church family, would you stand with me? As the worship band sings and plays, I want you to look inward. And I want you to look and see if the Spirit of God is living inside of you and if you're living in the power of the Spirit or if you're living under the influence of another spirit. And I pray that if you are, that you would run to Jesus Christ who lived the life you should have lived but died the death you deserve. Let's bow our heads and pray.